You're listening to another episode of the Young Investors Podcast, so sit back and relax as myself, Brandon, and my buddy Hamish discuss the latest in the world of finance and stock market investing. Now, a quick reminder before we get into the podcast is that nothing in this podcast should be taken on as personal financial advice. If you're ever unsure about your finances or investing and you need some help, make sure you reach out to a qualified financial advisor. But with all that said, let's get into another episode of the Young Investors Podcast. Welcome back, everybody. Welcome back, Brandon. Hope you're well and rested today because I am not. <laughs> <laughs> I, I can already hear it in your voice. You sound like a uh, sleepy boy. Yeah. It's your a- poor dog. What's been going on? Your yeah. Dog's not so, to- I, I'm going to be a little bit sleepy today, guys, because my dog was sick last night. So, I was up every couple of hours just letting her out of the house and kind of making sure she was okay. So, no. Um, and it's been two nights in a row that it's been like that. So, I'm on the back of two nights in a row of not very much sleep. So, that's, uh, that's, that's me for today's podcast. <laughs> oh, gosh. Uh, I'm going to have to be double as cheery today. Yeah, I'm going to have to pump you up somehow. Uh, we've, got, we've got some cool stuff to talk about. We've got a lot to talk about. We'll talk about Charlie Munger. Well, you know, Charlie Munger's stock market moves, they always pump you up a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Always exciting. Tesla stuff. Tesla, that pumps up me more than it pumps up you when we talk Tesla. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and what we got stuff, Facebook stuff to talk about as well. That, yeah. yeah, that was crazy. How long was that? Was like a six six hour t- outage or something yeah. the other day. Yeah, and that's not even probably the biggest thing that happened for oh, Facebook. Right. Okay. So big week for Facebook. We'll talk about that yeah. as well. It's pretty crazy. Did I think most of the outage happened while we were asleep? Yeah, because yeah. I I didn't really experience an outage at all. Did you experience? Much? No, no, no. I, I I believe it ended sometime in the late morning for us. So it was like oh, nine right. a.m. or something like that. So yeah, it was pretty right. much while we were sleeping. Yeah, right there you go. Yeah, because I was just like, I woke up and all these memes were about how how Facebook's down. <laughs> I'm just <laughs> like, wait, what's working for me? <laughs> yeah, I, mean- I saw something funny. There's this website that tracks whether websites are down yeah. or not. I think it's called like isitdown.com or something like just basic like that. Mm. Um, and Marquez Brownlee, MKBHD, tweeted uh, a picture of the site. It's like when Facebook and WhatsApp and Instagram all go down together, it drives enough traffic to crash that site. <laughs> so, so the is it down site was also down. <laughs> oh, <laughs> Which no. is pretty funny. That's hilarious. Wow. Yeah. So, we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about that um, later in today's episode, but we'll get straight into it. Uh, today's episode is sponsored by ShareSite, which is an application you can use to track the performance of your stock portfolio. So, you can bring in all of your trades either automatically by connecting your broker or doing it manually through Excel or just manually adding them one by one. And once you add them all in, it will give you an accurate view of the return that your portfolio is generating. So, it'll track your capital gains, dividends. If you have dividend reinvestment plans, it will do all of those calculations for you. Currency gains, if you're buying shares internationally or you hold foreign currencies. And then uh, the main reason why I've been using it for, I think now over almost five years now. It's been a while. Uh, is for, yeah, it's been a long while. Uh, is, is for when it comes to tax time. So, ShareSite will generate up to 10 or 12 different reports now that can be used to track performance as well as at tax time to uh, work out things such as your capital gains, dividend income and more. And at the moment, you can try ShareSite for free by heading over to sharesite.com forward slash young investors. That's site spelled S-I-G-H-T sharesite.com forward slash young investors. So, use that link, sign up to a free plan, try it for as long as you want or you you can also use that link to sign up to a premium plan. And when you do using that link, you'll get four months off a yearly subscription. So, go check it out. And thanks to everyone who has used that link to sign up and is supporting the podcast in a small way. Yeah, absolutely. Where are we going to start Hamish Hotter? Yeah, I mean- Charlie Munger? I think, yeah, I, I think we have to. I think we have to start with Charlie what's, Munger. what's going on. Um, yeah, I, I honestly, I hadn't really kept up with this. I, I This kind of flew under the radar for me. So, Mm. um, tell us what's going on. Yeah. Well, I mean, to be honest, there's not usually very much Charlie Munger 13F news. No, he's (laughs) He's, one of the most inactive investors ever. (laughs) Yeah. I would call him extremely inactive. So, for those that don't know, so Charlie Munger bought uh, Alibaba in Q1 this year. And before that, so I, I use this website called Dataroma, which which tracks all of the different moves of seventy two different super investors. 
and you can go to the activity tab to see just what all the activity in their portfolio is. And, you know, usually you'll get, okay, Q3 2021, Q2 2021, Q1 2021. I'll just keep hmm. going back quarter by quarter, all the different trades that this person made. <laughs> for, for Charlie Munger, it goes Q1 2021, and then it goes back to some quarter in 2014, and then that's it. <laughs> He's the master of sitting on his ass and doing nothing. He, I think one of his quotes is like, you don't make money when you buy or when you sell, you make money when you wait. Yeah. I don't know if that's his quote or I just a quote it- that he uses a lot. Yeah. But he's the master of being inactive in the markets and just waiting. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's it's kind of insane. I think most people wouldn't dream of even going one year being inactive without making mm. any changes or, or not buying the same stocks, not looking into a new stock, for example. Um, so, to go seven years is... Uh, is <laughs> quite takes, well. takes some kind of discipline. And it also indicates, I think, partially, you know, his, uh, it's kind of an action that indicates his, um, his opinion on, on, you know, what's available for investment for him at the moment. Um, oh, there's just a lack of, of things that are either big enough for him to look at and also, you know, great business that's at an attractive price. But, um, yeah, Alibaba has been the first one in what? So, what was that? Seven years or something for yeah. the Daily Journal Corporation, at least. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, the story is, yes, so Charlie Munger, he released the Daily Journal Corpse 13F for Q3 2021. It showed that he added 82% to his Alibaba position, so he bought another 136,000 ADRs. Um, right. And the reason that it's interesting, I mean, we know that Charlie Munger likes Alibaba, right? Because he mm. bought it in Q1. Um, but the reason that it's interesting that it's popped up now in Q3 is because Alibaba's just been on this constant decline. Yeah. Um, for for a long time, for like a year now, maybe a little bit more than a year. Yeah. Um, and he, so he started buying in Q1, and at that time, for context, the shares were between 220 and 270 US dollars for an ADR. Um, and that's when he made his original investment, and then Q2 came and went, and he decided to do nothing, even though the price continued to drop. It got as low as 206 in Q2. Hmm. Um, so, that was kind of confusing, but I guess, you know, I was thinking like, oh, is he maybe just, he just wanted to make a once-off investment, you know, he'll just leave it at that. Hmm. Because, yeah, he, he did. He had opportunities to add more at a lower price, and he chose not to in Q2. Hmm. Um, so, everyone was kind of like, oh, okay, maybe this is just one, one and done kind of thing, but then Q3 obviously has come around. The price in Q3... <laughs> Has slid. So just f- remember, he bought somewhere between 220 and 270. Mm. The price in Q3 has slid from 220 to 150. Yeah, it's, it's uh, quite the downward trajectory, isn't it? Yeah, I think it's now 53. I just checked it this morning. I think about 53% lower than its all-time high that it wow. set, as you said, I think about a year ago or, or within a year. Um, so, yeah, it's, I mean, it has continued to slide. It's uh, it's following that, that famous rule that uh, Warren Buffett talks about that every time he buys something that, of course, it has to fall substantially <laughs> after that. So, um, yeah, I don't know. It is interesting that you mentioned that, you know, he didn't buy, he didn't progressively add more as you kind of might have expected for someone making yeah. a big position in an investment that if they started in Q1 and it continues to fall, they would just add a little bit more in Q2 and a little bit more in Q3. But it seems like he kind of skipped on Q2 for some reason. But um, <laughs> yeah. now that it's gotten down even lower, that maybe it's uh, maybe it's another trigger for him to to add to the position substantially, yeah. My running hypothesis is that he he just didn't have any cash lying around in Q2. <laughs> <laughs> he was just he was just out of cash. Yeah, he's just know? yeah. He, he wanted to buy something else. He, he bought like a I don't know, $50 million house. He bought that house, the one. <laughs> That's he bought what he- the one. <laughs> uh, that was like, how much was that? It was like 500. Yeah, 500 oh, million or something like that. Something stupid. There's no chance it goes for that though. <laughs> nah, nah, nah. I think the guy we was saying how the the, the that house got- um, uh, uh, put into receivership or whatever. Yeah. I think the guy that built it just went, uh, just declared bankruptcy as well. So, yeah. Anyway, different story. <laughs> not related. A couple of yeah, episodes not related back, at all. if you're interested. <laughs> yeah. So, I-, I wanted to talk a little bit about Alibaba because clearly this, there's obviously been a lot going on with uh, China at the moment. Yes. Uh, Chinese businesses. Uh, the Chinese government stepping in uh, and, and putting, you know, kind of cracking the whip on a lot of these big, big companies. So, you know, 
clearly him making a sizable investment in it now uh, is showing that he really does not believe this is a, a long-term issue. Mm. Um, so, I wanted to talk about, uh, for example, some some of the stuff in terms of Alibaba, just Alibaba, how they've kind of butted heads with the Chinese government over the last little while. So, the Chinese government blocked the Ant Group's IPO. We all know yes. about that. Yeah. Recently, they announced they're now looking to break up Ant Financial or break up Alipay. Mm. Um, they also, and remember that uh, why that's relevant is that Alibaba owns one third of the Ant Group or Ant Financial. Um, and then in terms of just Alibaba, the CCP also slapped a $2.8 billion antitrust fine. That was not too long ago. Mm. And more recently, they've actually just forced- well forced, pretty much forced <laughs> Alibaba to make a $15.5 billion pledge to uh, common prosperity initiatives. Mm. And this is really, these four things are really why Alibaba shares are just tanking so much yep. at the moment. And, and people are just so nervous because you can just, you can run any sort of discounted cash flow and it's not hard to see that the, sh- the shares are undervalued. They're cheap. Uh, but the reason is because people are just so hesitant to buy this stock because they're so nervous that the CCP is going to continue to really hurt Alibaba's business. Yeah. I think there's a couple of, there's a combination of things going on. The first thing is that we have to remember that most people investing are not, they don't have these huge horizons that Charlie Munger has and, and long-term true. investors, they're looking over maybe the next year and whenever there's, you know, maybe more regulation news coming out and this and that happening, that raises a lot of uncertainty in the next couple of years. So, that's happening. And then I think on top of that, there actually is some concerns that there's long-term uncertainty around the business in regards to, you know, things, whether Alibaba will be forced to break up or there'll be regulations that impede their business substantially. So, I think there's a couple of things going on, which is why it's dropped so much so quickly. Mm. I think there's a combination of, of of, of short-term concerns, maybe some long-term concerns as well. But yeah, certainly there's a there's a lot going on in China. And, and those aren't, you know, those are just the things related to Alibaba specifically. You have other industries around it, similar businesses that are getting regulated. We have the Evergrande stuff that's going on that is threatening or, or may threaten to collapse the Chinese economy. So, there's, there's a lot going on, right? Yeah. Um, a lot of different things. Are ha- I mean, we're still amidst the pandemic, we're still seeing the effects of that. So, there's a lot of things that are, I think, driving or, or you could say are factors that are, are driving the stock down. And then the, the, the analysis is really whether you think those are short-term issues that will not be, that will not hurt the business long-term. And then, um, you know, what, what does the cash flows of the business look like on the other side yeah. of this? And clearly, Charlie Munger believes that uh, it's, uh, it looks pretty good. Yeah. And that's what I was going to say as well, just trying to kind of put my Charlie Munger hat on, I guess, Hmm. is that you're right. There are definitely short-term concerns and long-term concerns. Obviously, the main driver of the stock going down at the moment is all these short-term things that keep popping up. But I think if I had my Charlie Munger hat on, the way that he would see it is he believes that, yes, there are short-term things, and, and, and this is very much- uh, in line with what the CCP is kind of doing, that their their number one goal is common prosperity. That's like they mm. blasted that everywhere. It's like common prosperity. That's what we're aiming for. But it's also not like this truly communist place that everybody kind of talks talks about it. Like that, I was listening to Charlie Munger and Ray Dalio talk about this recently, and how all of the kind of uh, elements of capitalism that they're bringing in. You know, their Xi Jinping is is uh, is opening a new stock market in Beijing uh, for small and medium enterprise. So it's like this blend of different kind of economic approaches. And I guess that that Charlie Munger's uh, thought process would be, and this is kind of what Ray Dalio talks about as well, is that they're always going to act in the interest of long-term prosperity. So, you might get this short-term pain where they're like, okay, you're you're being a little bit too monopolistic. We're going to slap a fine on you. Um, or, you know, we're going to shut down for-profit education businesses in China because they're just charging exorbitant fees and it's basically a toll bridge to get into certain universities and they don't want that. That doesn't align with common prosperity. Mm. So, I think there are going to be these short-term things that they kind of crack down on. And I think that for Charlie Munger and Ray Dalio talks about this as well, when you're approaching China, you just have to think long-term, like you have to maintain a long-term approach because what they've demonstrated is that they are becoming 
increasingly uh, they are adopt increasingly adopting uh, pillars of capitalism and allowing kind of free market ish kind of uh, policies to run. So um, from their point of view, they they don't believe that the Chinese government is going to continue to crack down and, and, you know, beat the crap out of business. I mean, they're Mm. still, they're a smart government. They've seen that this change towards more capitalistic notes has, has been working. So they're likely going to continue on that path and not backtrack. Um, So they're just Charlie and, and, and Ray as well, very much of the opinion that you have to, uh, you have to go, you have to go long and, and believe that, the Chinese government is still interested in having business flourish, um, and hopefully that leads to long-term, you know, um, success of large Chinese businesses. Hmm. Does that kind of make sense? Is, uh, have I have I kind of yeah. summarized that line of thinking well? Yeah, I, I think you characterize that um, that as, as well as you could. Yeah, that's that's really good. Um, yeah, I, I just think, I mean. Certainly, um, I think that the stock going down um, in the over the past year kind of looks bad. I think to a lot of people, but I mean, I'm sure this is exactly what you know Charlie Munger and many other value investors want, right? You want to see a really great business if if that's you know the the conclusion you reach. Uh, you want to see it get as as cheap as possible. So um, even though it's True. you know it's <laughs> it's fallen a lot. Um, I, I'm sure he's. Uh, I'm sure he's glad that he's able to add what 82 percent to the to the stock now. But yeah, yeah, <laughs> not. Definitely. I mean, yeah, my opinion's still the same on uh, on the business. I I don't think I understand the business well enough. I don't oh, think I understand enough. the yeah. area well enough. Um, so that's kind of my opinion on it. But I'm happy to observe mm. it, and um, I always hope that these investments work out. I'm not. You know, not investing in the business doesn't mean I'm shorting it. So, um, yeah, I, ho- I hope it does do well over time. You just have this massive short on Alibaba. Yeah. yeah. Tell you what, Meanwhile. you'd be sitting pretty if you had done that. Yeah. <laughs> I, yeah. I, Man, I don't think I don't think I'd ever short a stock. No, no, that's yeah. I mean, look, it just goes against everything that we oh. we uh all of our principles that, you know, in the short term, anything can happen, you know, anything can happen in the short term. Um, I mean, what's that markets irrational quote? Markets can stay irrational longer than you can stay solvent, I think, or something like that. So, you've got to believe that, you know, even if Charlie, even if Alibaba is extremely undervalued, even if that is the truth, that, you know, there's no reason why it couldn't go down another 50% from here. And that's just, Mm. that's just markets for you. Um, so, you know. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, that I thought that was quite interesting. But yeah, clearly, I mean, Charlie Munger is uh is is an investor that I certainly respect. Um mm. he's a smart dude. Yeah. He's a smart smart dude. So um so yeah, I'm very interested and because he it's, it's partly because he's such a smart dude and also the fact that he just never does anything. <laughs> <laughs> Those two factors combined means that when he actually does pull the trigger on something, I'm very interested. Yeah, it's uh, it's unbelievable how infrequent he invests. So yeah, all eyes are, are on Alibaba stock and will be for the next little while, and we'll see where where it goes from here. Um, yeah, I mean, the, yeah, for the, over the last six months, it's down significantly, and we'll we'll kind of see, I guess, what happens over over the next year. Do you think it'll? Let's make a, a, a not <laughs> not not real prediction, but a you know a fun prediction. Let's make a fun prediction about Alibaba in twelve months. In twelve months, yeah. Uh, up. Yeah, I'd probably say the same. Yeah, I mean, our predictions aren't working out too well this year so far. We had no, we had Bitcoin down. I'm pretty sure it's up for the year. Tesla. Probably, what did yeah. we say? We said Tesla was going to be down as well. I think, right? Yeah. I'm so pretty... I, I think we might. Are we right on that one? Maybe. I don't uh, know. It's timelines get fuzzy with Tesla stock. It's up seven percent from the start of the oh, year. Okay. So. We were right uh, throughout the year and now it's kind of recovered. But yeah, we're not we're not the best at making short-term predictions, although no, we're it's not. not a- <laughs> Maybe we should just leave that. <laughs> leave the short-term predictions alone. Yeah. Uh, should, should we talk about hey, t- d- yeah? Yeah, talk about Facebook. I want to know what's going on with Facebook. Yeah, so I mean Facebook probably had one of its worst weeks in a in a long time. Maybe one of the worst weeks since it's uh it copped that, I think, eight billion dollar fine or something. That was the yeah. largest fine ever or something. <laughs> So Facebook's had its a uh, fair share of uh, of uh, tough weeks, but this is a tough one. Um, so there's a couple of things that happened. Um, we we spoke a little bit briefly um, earlier about.
about the first thing that happened. So on Monday this week, Facebook, Messenger, Instagram, and WhatsApp were all down globally for almost six hours, <laughs> which is kind it's of insane. It's kind of crazy to when I read that, I just thought, how can they let that happen? How can how could you be down for six hours? Like that's a long time. Like, like, yeah, I reckon it's, it's just crazy. In- Crazy for the, to me. Yeah, for these companies. I mean, you would just think, especially when it's a global outage and you have you know, people in all regions, a lot of people, I think billions of people lost access or, or had limited access to Facebook. I think you could post, but you mm. couldn't react to things or like comment or, or comment or anything like that. Um, yeah. So, if that's happening, you would think, and I'm, I'm sure they were, that they have to be on it immediately, but it's crazy that it still took six hours for them to fix it. And I'll talk a little bit about- what their process was, what happened, and then what they had to do to fix it. Um, the thing that pops it, sorry, the thing yeah. that pops into my mind is that with, you know, how many daily active users does Facebook have? It's like two billion or something. Yeah, two point like five billion, I think. Two, yeah, two point five billion. I just feel like if you got some sort of app that's that popular, mm. I feel like you would have multiple, multiple layers of redundancy and backup in case something like this were to happen, but. I don't know. <laughs> you would, Cle- clearly not. You would think so. Um, and maybe I'm, maybe that's not how this software kind of stuff works. I, I don't know. Maybe I'm maybe I'm just saying something that can't exist. But y- yeah. yeah, I feel like oh, Facebook's down. Quick, boot up the second generator, boys. Yeah, just click, <laughs> just click that button, and uh, we're back <laughs> <Yeah>. online. <laughs> no, yeah. it's uh, it's not that simple. As uh, as I discovered, as I was trying to learn a little bit about right, uh, <laughs> learn a little bit about what happened. But um, this was, of course, the biggest outage that Facebook had had in years. And uh, you could argue that it's probably the most costly Facebook outage ever um, because Facebook is, of course, as big as it's ever been. Um, Mm. And, you know, Facebook isn't just sharing things with your friends anymore. You have millions of businesses that rely on on Facebook, Instagram and WhatsApp for communication with customers and clients. Um, Businesses run massive (laughs) advertisement campaigns. There's events, ticketing and many other things that are done. I mean, even if you just zoom in on advertising campaigns, can you imagine how much money a business that's spending- a billion dollars on Facebook ads a year loses in in six hours. I mean, it's a it's a lot of money that they would be losing mm. on um, you know generated revenue from that. So even yeah. that specifically, but I think more broadly, that's more applicable is all of the small businesses that use um, Facebook to communicate with customers. Um, six hours, um, if that's you know during the day, then that's a that's a long time to not be able to communicate if that's your main mode of communication. So. Um, you know, it's not just about not being able to post the Instagram that you had scheduled for for, for Monday afternoon. <laughs> uh, Damn it. There's a big cost, of course, that kind of ripples out. Um, so, it's a pretty serious thing. Um, on Tuesday, after the outage, the vice president of uh, engineering at Facebook released a blog post and explained with uh, a lot of technical detail kind of why this happened and why it took so long for them to fix it. And I'm not going to get into the the details of it because I don't understand it. I'm not an engineer. It was Cambridge Analytica, wasn't it? Oh, it was. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I thought it might be. Zuckerberg had uh, too many bots liking his posts. <laughs> and it just- <laughs> Too many fake accounts. He <laughs> <laughs> was- uh, Bastards. Yeah. He had like six laptops open. He was replying to himself. Like number of- <laughs> He's very active on Facebook. Do you follow him on Facebook? Oh no! Uh, he no, he posts don't. a lot, and he replies to a lot of comments. He 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 does he does like to interact on Facebook, whether or really? not they're with yeah, real yeah. people, I don't know. But he uh, he's there. He is he said- <laughs> How, he's got a what one hundred and seventeen point eight million followers. Yeah, he's got, he's got a lot of friends on there. <laughs> he does. Yeah. I didn't know that there are 117 million bots on Facebook. That's crazy stuff. Yeah, that's that's how we can. We just have to remove that from the daily active user number, and then we know <laughs> yeah. the, then, then we know the true number. The true number. Of, yeah, uh, you're smart, Hamish. That's very smart. <laughs> we're on to it now. No, but uh, the the vice president of uh, engineering released a, a blog post, um, and uh, they said uh, during one of these routine maintenance jobs, a command was issued with the uh, intention to access the availability of the global backbone capacity, whatever that means, uh, which unintentionally took down all of the connections in our backbone network, effectively disconnecting Facebook data centers globally. Uh, she said that they actually use an that sounds bad. they actually use an audit tool. 
to check commands before they're applied. So whenever a command is being used um, in, in the back end, I guess it goes through this auditing system that should pick up whether it's going to do something that's going to hurt the network. Um, Makes sense. But the audit tool actually encountered a bug. So it was the audit tool that kind of failed, missed the command, and um, that took down the entire network. Jeez. <laughs> also, imagine being the uh, the engineer. I, I mean, I'm sure it was like a team of engineers, but just imagine being... If I, I like oh. to imagine there's one engineer that just sent one command and then all of a sudden everything just in the room just went black. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh-oh. <laughs> <clears throat> gets on gets on Facebook messenger groups to talk to the team and like can't get through. <laughs> hey guys, just just updated the latest soft oh no. Oh, no. <laughs> Doesn't have any phone numbers of his colleagues. Everything's just through Facebook, so he can't communicate <laughs> with anybody. <laughs> Man, that yeah, that's that's just bizarre. How gee, you would have thought you would have thought, I don't know, that audit tool, that's a pretty big thing to miss. <laughs> Yeah, there you go. I mean, there you go. And then, so in terms of, I was wondering from this, well, I was wondering the exact same thing you were thinking. Why can't they just kind of, why isn't there just a button or a new command they can enter that just, you know, fixes it, that just gets it back up and running? Control Um, Z. Yeah, exactly. Just go back, just undo, undo a couple of times, a couple of commands. No, so they can't do that um, as as it is. Uh, So what they had to do was they needed to send a team of engineers to the physical location of the data servers. So they had to actually send people to where the data centers are and debug and restart the systems manually. So they they actually had to physically go there. That was the first reason why it took a little bit longer. And then the second reason was, which is kind of obvious now that I think about it, um, it actually took them just a long time for the engineers to get inside because there is a huge security protocol in place. And they didn't explain what that is, but I presume it's that there's a number of, uh, you know, um, there's a number of checkpoints that need to be passed by people of certain authority (laughs) in the company so that they can't just send anybody through. And maybe they took a long time to get in contact with the necessary people to get inside the service. And that makes all sense now that I think about it, because you want to have obviously the utmost security at your physical servers. 100%, Um, yeah. I don't know how high that goes in the company, like who has the authority to to kind of do that and whether they have to be physically at the server as well. Um, I don't know like the details of that, but it makes a little bit more sense now that it that that, that it's explained. But also like why? <laughs> also, yeah. So this is this is crazy. Yeah. So that you, can, you imagine just imagine being that guy on the security standpoint. The, the engineer's like, "Look, Facebook is down. We need to and get in like, there." Mm, you're right. Facebook is down, but uh, I don't know if I can let you through. This could be a trick. That would just be insane. Yeah, I, I like to imagine that they needed Zuckerberg to like approve it or something, and he was just I don't know out wakeboarding or something for six yeah, hours he was straight. Smoking some meats. Yeah, he like he comes he comes back in and like they're all waving on the beach for like four hours, and he's just like waving back at them. And he, hey guys, he comes in. What? What? Facebook's been down for six hours, Zuckerberg. Mark. <laughs> Get in the car. <laughs> oh, dear. Uh, that's, this is crazy. Yeah. What a story. So, this is insane. Yeah, it do- doesn't happen very often. Obviously, Facebook goes down in regions and, and from, from time to time, um, and it's super frustrating. But for six hours globally is, mm. is uh, kind of crazy. And very- well, that's the thing that gets me. Sorry to butt in. No, you're right. I was wondering, trying to wonder, like, when would the last global, like the, the last time where Facebook was down globally- I don't even know because you're right. When you think about Facebook or Instagram being down, it's usually just a small region and then mm. they just figure it out, pop it back up. But it's it's never like everybody has lost access. I mean, that's just, that's I, I don't even know. I can't remember if there was a time where it was down globally. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think that's that. The, really the severity is the fact that it was global and the fact that it was six hours, like six hours is a really yeah. long time for any sort of outage. And the fact that it was global is just like uh, what's caused this to be such a big thing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And certainly very costly. Um, so, of course, yeah. it was costly, as I mentioned, to you know a lot of businesses that use Facebook um, and couldn't during that six hour window. Um, but it was costly specifically to Facebook shareholders. Uh, the stock was down 4.8%. Um, yeah. And uh, Mr. Mark Zuckerberg's net worth went down $8 billion dollars for that six hour period. So pretty rough. Wow. One one point two five billion per or not that not quite that, but about a bit over one billion 
per hour that it was down, which is rough <laughs> wow. for Mr. Zuckerberg. But there you go. So what? What'd you say? Eight eight billion? Eight billion over six Damn. hours. So he's only got he's only got a hundred and eight billion dollars left. <laughs> <laughs> oh no. <laughs> Uh-oh. <laughs> but no, seriously, like even that even that's quite a, a big chunk to be taken from from Zuckerberg. Facebook stock dropping 4.8% doesn't do that too often. Yeah, I think the last time when was the last time it dropped 4.8% besides uh besides uh February uh, uh March last year? Uh, would have been what maybe Cambridge Analytica or sometime around there. Yeah, yeah, it doesn't uh doesn't it's a big company, so it doesn't move all that much. Um Yeah too often but believe it or not that probably wasn't the worst thing that happened for facebook really? uh, this Jeez. week so yeah facebook's uh yeah facebook's oh, did mark zuckerberg die or something <laughs> <laughs> no uh he didn't um not not quite that bad maybe i drummed it up but um a former employee who is now a whistleblower was actually testifying in congress this week um and basically leaked a bunch of internal data she's a data analyst um uh, who used to work at at facebook and google and a bunch of other companies and she leaked a bunch of internal data about research um, that the business had done internally and has been testifying at Congress um, and making basically a number of claims about the business. So, um, right. this is kind of an ongoing story. So, there's not kind of too much to, to talk about, although there's a really good 60 Minutes um, interview that she did if you want to catch kind of her complete perspective on it. And then Mark Zuckerberg wrote a, uh, he, he made a post on Facebook that was sharing a letter or an email, I should say, that he sent to all of the Facebook employees. So, that's kind of his response. It's massive. Right. So, if you have, you know, if you want to spend 15 20 minutes. minutes. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's 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 an essay and a half. And a lot of the okay. a lot of the comments are pretty funny. They uh um they're just kind of making fun of Zuckerberg for for waffling on for so long. But um right. considering the severity of some of the claims, it kind of makes sense that he made such a such a long response. But in terms of her claims, she made a lot of different claims, but the kind of the three key ones are that uh, she argued that Facebook was harmful to kids uh, and in particular teenage girls. And um, she released some uh, internal documents from Facebook where they had done their own internal investigation. And some of that, while some of that investigation did show that um, as Instagram had a positive impact on, on kids, there was some that in particular teenage girls and in, in regards to body image that there was... Um, that it was doing harm and that a lot of, I think it was like 13% of, of girls who responded to the survey had said that Instagram had made their, um, th their mental health issues worse. So, mm, yeah, um, great. sharing that and kind of testifying on that point. Um, she also said that um, Facebook's algorithm is fueling an increase in civil unrest and polarization and that it's actually driving um, content towards people that makes people angry and, and more, um, and more, I guess, uh, angry against each other politically in particular. Mm. Uh, to be honest, I probably agree with that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I mean, for sure. And I think uh, part of it, I think is in human nature. I mean, if you, it's not just on social media and social media might be kind of a, maybe it is fuel to the fire in that case. But um, mm. I mean, if you look at, you know, what shows people are interested in, in terms of like reality TV and that sort of thing, I mean, people love to consume conflict. And I think yeah. I think social media is just a, a very maybe um, raw outlet for that. <laughs> um, mm. So you know, I guess if you got like a search 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 function, which is like the number one goal is to get people to click on stuff, then it's naturally going to learn to feed you the stuff that if you click on conflict-based stuff or political view, opinion pieces or whatnot, then it's just going to keep kind of uh, uh, snowballing. But I'm sure that the, the AI or the neural net, the search algorithm is probably like, oh, we're doing a great job, guys. Look, these people <laughs> are just clicking on all this stuff. Um, <laughs> but it's like, well, <laughs> what are they clicking on? Yeah, yeah, exactly yeah. right. So, I mean, there's certainly, I think, to some extent that happening. And then her last kind of big claim was that with all of these things, um, Facebook executives essentially refused to do anything about it. So, they, so, so it was basically claiming that they, they know about these issues and they're refusing to do anything about it because they always choose maximize profit over the safety of their, um, their users. Um, so, that's kind of the big 
thing that's come out this week from Facebook, Zuckerberg, as I said, responded with an email that was sent to all the employees and it is massive. So, there's no way I could go through all of the things that he said in it. But um, a couple of the main points he made was that um, he, he said, at the heart of these accusations is the idea that we prioritize profit over safety and well-being, and that's not true. And then he went on to, to kind of give a, a couple of reasons why. Uh, he also added that uh, the argument that we deliberately push content that makes people angry for profit is deeply illogical. Uh, we make money from ads and advertisers consistently tell us that they don't want ads next to harmful or angry content. That makes um, sense. And he, you know, he, he gave a lot of specific um, rebuttals in terms of some of the internal research that was being shared um, by this former employee in that what she was talking about was I think one of 13 um, areas that was under investigation and in 12 of those areas uh, they found that social media according to users that had done the survey was a positive impact a value add um, to their lives and that it was that one area um, that it wasn't so um, you know a couple of right. big responses um, coming from each side and I think this just really adds to a big I think concern right now for a lot of I guess a lot of Facebook investors in that there could very well be some significant regulation coming and I think a lot there's there's definitely a significant push to regulate not just Facebook but you know Twitter and a number of other of these social media platforms and to mm. to put some controls kind of in place so yeah no it's it's gonna be a hard one I I probably agree that there does need to be probably some more regulation to what there is at the moment but it's it's going to be such a it's just like how how like what what's allowed what what's like? not allowed yeah yeah what does it look that's just such a big like just thinking about that it's just exhausting like what because then you're going to get the whole army of you know free speeches and blah 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 and it's just going to be a, a mess it'll be like, oh we're trying to censor free speech and yada yada and oh Gosh, I would not. I, I would just say I would not like to be the person that has to try and figure that out. Yeah, I mean, even just Ugh. that is a, a, a massive polarizing issue, isn't it? That yeah. there's there's people that believe that Facebook should have an active role, of, a serious active role in monitoring and moderating, I should say, the content that goes through the site, and that it should be very, very, you know, that they should be right on top of it, and that you know anything that is possibly harmful to people should not be on the platform. And then you have people who think it should just be an open platform and give control to the individual on the platform to kind of um, limit what you know what people can see of their own content, um, and you know block people if if or, and and not see things if they don't want to see them. Um, but mm. that other people on the platform should be able to you know share their opinions on things and that sort of thing so it's a it's a big debate and it's kind of it's an area that's like the wild west at the moment there's not really any rules so there's a lot of debate about what the rules should be um mm. and this is kind of just another i would say uh, pro definitely something that's harmful for for facebook's business if um it comes in the form of facebook being forced to break up some of their businesses um or even heavy regulation but i I don't even know yeah. what form that could possibly take um, mm. at this point. It's uh, still very early stage, I think, in the regulation of, of these social media businesses. Yeah, I tend to agree. I think you're right. All right. Bad luck, Facebook. That is a tough week. Yeah. Jeez. Ouch. Brutal. <laughs> <laughs> um, should, should we leave that one there and yep. move on? Talk, talk Tesla a little yeah, bit? Yeah, let's talk Tesla. Let's All do right, it. Let's do it. So, Tesla. Um, it's the end of another quarter. So, we get production delivery numbers. This is obviously a, a, a metric that people uh, watch like like a hawk. So, uh, Tesla is, I'm kind of getting a bit tired of saying this, but Tesla, they had another record quarter, <laughs> which is pretty pretty good. They uh, delivered 241,000 cars and they produced 237,000 cars, wow. most of which were Model 3 and Y. Very few, like there was only... Eight eight thousand nine hundred Model S um, right. produced and and nine thousand delivered. So the majority of that number is Model Three and Model Y. Mm -hmm. um, but also the Model X is not currently in production. Um, oh, it's just the just the Model S because they did that whole switch over to the the new updated version. They've got the S sorted now. They're working on the X and and yada yada. So interesting. Um, so yeah, mostly threes and Ys. Um, which the the interesting thing 
that I take out of these delivery numbers, they're now, if you annualize that, they're now running at, uh, you know, a million, a production rate of pretty much a million cars a year, which is, uh, it's, it's, it's impressive. And pe- people have been just like doubting for so long. They've been like, yeah, right. You know, Tesla, this is back in the day where they'd make like 50,000 cars a quarter. It's like, yeah, they're never going to get to a million a year. You're serious. But it's like, boom, like literally one and a half, two years later, here we are, you know. It's, um, it is. It's insane how quickly they've they've gotten to a million. Um, I, yeah. I remember not too long ago, I was thinking like, man, to get that, well, I think they were pushing towards half a million was kind of their- their uh, their mm. goal at the time a couple of years ago, and you know, I just remember thinking, wow, that's like a that's a lot of cars, and to even get to a yeah. million, and then you know, where do they go from there? Can they get to five million? Can they get to ten million? Can they push yeah. up into some of these big automakers? Um, yeah. So yeah, kind of crazy that they're already <laughs> they're already at a yeah at a almost a a yearly run rate of a million cars. Yeah, uh, it is pretty impressive. They've still got a long way to go to be, to be at the same production levels as some of the biggest automakers in the world. Yeah. But um, they're they're on their way. I mean, they've certainly they're growing very very quickly. And the thing that blows my mind, and we've talked about this before, so I won't harp on too much, is that this is this these numbers two hundred forty one thousand cars to live in a quarter. This is before the you know Gigafactory Berlin or Gigafactory Texas have made any cars. They have made zero cars. Um, mm. And obviously, those two uh, those two factories are uh, going to start by building Model Ys, which is by far uh, the most popular Tesla. Um, and then they will just ramp up over the next year, which will add significant, you know, delivery numbers. And then as soon as in Texas, as soon as they finish the Model Y production line, then they start on the Cybertruck line um, and they've got more than a million orders for Cybertrucks. So, it's like, holy smokes. Um it's just got. There's just so much. I, I, it just makes me laugh because I remember it was like a year or two ago, and the all the the whole narrative from the short sellers was, "Oh, Tesla's got a demand problem. They've got no demand for their vehicles." <laughs> it's like, holy <laughs> smokes, you couldn't have been more wrong if you tried. Um, yeah. But it, it is pretty insane. It's the other thing that blows my mind is that Tesla and they they announced this a few months ago. They've already sold. They've noted that their production capacity for the rest of the year is sold out. So it's like if if you want to go on the waiting list, you're gonna you're gonna have to wait. And obviously, they wouldn't. They wish that that wasn't a problem, but it just is. This so so popular, and they can't. You know, obviously, they've got factories coming online, but they're not online yet. So it's just whew, it's pretty insane. It's crazy, pretty and insane. and this is all in a world where you know we we they're they're doing two hundred forty thousand cars a quarter in a world where we still are nowhere near being mostly electric. Right or yeah, and that's yeah. and that is I would think an inevitable um, fact Absolutely. that we're going to head yeah. in that direction. And you know, for the vast majority of people right now, getting an electric car is just not—it's not the most convenient thing. And when that infrastructure mm. is in place, that will that will be more people who can get a can even think about getting it right, getting a Tesla right, yeah. or, or another Speak electric snowball. vehicle. I mean, you have people who live in apartment buildings. I would say is probably a good example where it yeah. just. It doesn't make any sense right you now. You can't really charge it. No. Yeah. I mean, if you're really an enthusiast, you can and you can go to the the, the charging network to, to charge and sit there every now and then. But it doesn't really make any sense unless you can, I think, unless you can have it in your house. And may, maybe even for a lot of renters as well, although I'm, I'm sure it's an option um, to get the, the charging stuff installed. Um, mm. But maybe for renters as well, it's something that's a bit of hesitancy. Um, but over time that I think that will change. Um, yeah. And that means there's a lot more demand coming down the pipe for, for yeah. Tesla. It's just a tiny little snowball at the top of the hill at the moment. It's just going to start rolling down, gathering snow, and there's everything will continue to move in the direction of the electric vehicle, which is kind of exciting. One thing that actually caught my attention is that uh, a guy that I follow on Twitter, Rob Maurer, he does the Tesla Daily Podcast. He put up a post which showed the history of Tesla's Q3 deliveries. And uh, it's pretty insane. Like from 2012, which was the release of the Model S, their first um, uh, larger production car, Mm. uh, they started in 2012 Q3, they did 321 deliveries. Then the next year, 5,000, 7,000, 11,000, 24, 26, 83, 97, 139, and then 241,000. It's pretty insane. If you take it from 2012 to now, compound annual growth rate of 108%. <laughs> <laughs> but 
in all honesty, you can see that the there's a massive jump between 2012 and 2013, 321 to over 5,000. So even if you take out that jump, it's still a compound annual growth rate of 60% from 2013 to 2021, which is pretty bonkers in, in my humble opinion. Yeah. And I mean, you could even go further and you go from 16 to 21, which is just five years, you've got a 10x, which is, yeah. yeah. I mean, I don't know exactly what percentage that is, but it's a lot. It's, it's in the 40s, impressive. I think. <laughs> so, yeah. it's crazy. It's, it's impressive. Crazy. Um, so, yeah, de- delivery numbers are certainly something that Tesla people keep their eye on and it's uh, it's it's looking good. And, and, and it's worth noting this is at a time where most other car companies are really struggling and their deliveries are going down. So, yeah. It's pretty, pretty impressive. The other notable thing, which I'll just very quickly touch on, is uh, coming out of Tesla, they are about to release their full self-driving beta to the general public. Um, huh. So, pretty much there's, up until now, there's just been a small group of beta testers that uh, just, ve- like, I think there's like a thousand people in that group, or maybe that's an outdated number, but very small amount of people have this full self-driving software um, or the latest version of it. But uh, recently, they did a, an update where you can now opt in to full self-driving beta if you have bought the full self-driving package. Mm. And that triggered a two-week uh, safety score check. So, Tesla then monitors if you opt in for this uh, this software, then they monitor your safety score when they're driving. So, they take into account like acceleration intensity, cornering intensity, um, forward collision sensors, and that sort of thing. Mm. They give you a safety score, and then they're going to start rolling out the full self-driver full self-driving uh, beta to people with 100% safety rating and then shuffle it down 99%, 98% and so on. Hmm. So That's an interesting pretty interesting people saying it's going to be years and years till we get full self-driving cars, but um, they're getting closer and closer and this if you're interested in this, you can just go onto YouTube and just type in Tesla full self-driving and there are so many channels now that have access to that software that upload videos on it that you can you can have a look. The one thing I take out of it is that you can definitely tell in its current form it is definitely uh, like beta software. It's yeah. it's not it's not like you you wouldn't want to trust it. You wouldn't want to fall asleep no, with it on. No, no. But when you take into account that this is a computer driving the car, it's still pretty impressive. Yeah. I mean, there are, there are some very tricky traffic scenarios that a lot of these guys run the beta through and it actually does it. Like, it, it yeah. really handles it, which is really- When you watch it, it's kind of like, whoa, <laughs> how did it do that? Yeah, it's it's um, fascinating to watch. It's, it's very, very effective. I think it still has a long way to go. It makes a lot of problems that any- reasonable driver would would not make um and i think that's a big that'll be a big turning point when the car stops making obvious mistakes because it's one thing just to even uh, for it to get on par with say a driver who's not paying too much attention right and maybe it still makes some mistakes um but it's overall pretty good we obviously want it to go far beyond that and actually be better than most drivers and it probably can get to that um but right now it's it's still making mistakes that you it, it shouldn't be making that, you know, when it go when you go around a corner, if it misses the lines, it might not make the turn, right? Um, and it, it has to get past that. And I think once it gets past that point, that'll be a big, that'll be a big push for, for it because, um, yeah, it's, uh, yeah. It, I, I, yeah, I don't know. I'm, maybe I'm not as optimistic as, uh, well, I'm, I'm optimistic in the future that it'll be very, very good, but I, I think maybe I'm not as excited by it um, as, as some people are. Right. And maybe that's just because I can't kind of see, I haven't watched too much of the progress, but whenever I watch, I'm, I think it's fascinating how good it is, but I also think that, you know, it's got a long way to go and that it yeah. still makes a lot of obvious mistakes. Yeah. It's, it's getting better on the mistakes, um, now in most everyday driving situations, like, you know, intersections, corners, that sort of stuff, it doesn't make very many mistakes, but it's, it's now, it's almost become that way because now it's, it seems, and you'll see this if you watch any videos, it seems like it's ultra cautious. Hmm. Like it's, the software is so cautious that you would definitely get beeped at, you know, you, you would get the hurry up from the person behind you. Um, Without a doubt. So, I think right. maybe that maybe they've changed- stra- And I don't know, I'm just, just kind of spitballing here, but maybe they've changed strategies where it's like in, instead of, you know, 
just going at full pace and maybe get some stuff wrong. Instead, they'll go slower and have it get more things right, and but then also be it you know be a bit of a nuisance because they're going so slowly. Yeah, you, you know, well, you know what it's like when the when the light turns green and the guy in front of you doesn't go straight <laughs> away. You're like, come on, dude, let's go. <laughs> yeah, well, I'd rather the car take too long to make a right turn across lanes than to than to get oh, it wrong absolutely. the other way and, you wanted to do the same drive thing, into right, cars yeah. so yeah i mean that's got to be the way it has it has to go that way otherwise no yeah. one will ever have confidence in in using yeah. it to to fully drive um but i think what you're talking about is is definitely right in order for it to be actually properly usable in day-to-day life it has to be you know, it has to drive as we would. Otherwise, we would just drive. It's like, dude, you just take it. You could have gone just then. Why didn't you go? Come on. I got to get to this, you know, party I'm going to or whatever it is. This, yeah. Maybe maybe a better example is going to this vaccination clinic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You need to have at least the confidence that it's not going to make super obvious mistakes, that it can see everything yeah. in front of it. Um and that it would stop or turn, you know, when a normal person would turn. Not even a tricky situation, just a just mm. a normal turn around a corner where there's no lines on the ground, right? And it's a yeah. little, not quite obvious, you know, where you're supposed to drive. Like, if it can get those right, then you have the confidence to, to let it drive. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it's obviously early stage and it's, a, it's an exponential process, right? As they get more people driving around, they get more data yeah. and that feeds back in. Yeah. Um, and it can be just a big neural net. Can, it's just got to learn. Yeah, exactly right. It's just got to learn. Elon's just got to sit there and just, you know, crunch the numbers. Yeah, just <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's actually exactly Elon. Right. It's happening to. He watches all the things and he's driving this simulator. Yeah, right, right. It's, and then it it's, learns. <laughs> So, yeah, that's that's what's going on with Tesla anyway. Um, Pretty interesting. Pretty interesting. But, yeah, very strong delivery numbers. Um, Do you want to do a couple of questions of Q&A before we get out of here? Yeah, we should do a couple. I'm watching the time. I'm watching the time and the time quickly gets away from us, doesn't it? It does, yeah. Sometimes (laughs) we we get stuck on stories sometimes. I think we just have a lot to say on 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 certain yeah. things but i mean we didn't yeah. talk too long about tesla actually so we it's probably one of the shortest <laughs> that's normally my bad no, that's, no, that's no. Me. usually it's one of the longer segments Int- very interesting company so it's uh it's hard yeah. it's hard not to talk a lot about it but we should get into some q a and um just before we do if you have more questions feel free to head over to the youtube version of the podcast at youtube.com forward slash the young investors podcast and just leave your questions as a comment on the latest episode um where do you want to do you want to start with this first one that you've highlighted? Yeah, we'll just start at the top and work our way down. Start at number one. All right. Uh, hey, guys, I just wanted to ask, how do I get the confidence to buy a stock when it is my first one? Uh, because I've been reading books and watching videos for a year now. And since I've never tried any of these theories of value investing, how do I get the confidence that it will work uh, if I've never tried it? Thanks, guys. It's, it's a good question. Mm. It's definitely a good question. Um, and there's no doubt it's way different uh, for the first time. It's a way different experience to simply watching a stock move as opposed to actually being invested in a stock when it moves. Mm. And even if you have got the best education on value investing, you know that you're not going to touch this company. You, you know, you're going to invest and then you're not going to touch your investment for 10 years and you're going to back it for the long run. As soon as you buy the stock, I can guarantee you the next day you will look at whether you've made money or lost money on paper. I can yeah. just guarantee yeah. you. The first investment you make, you're going to be watching it. You'll be like, oh, look, I'm up half a percent. Oh, I'm, oh, no, I'm down 2%. And you probably feel some pretty strong emotions either way. Um, and that's just the way it goes. Uh, you, you know, you, you put your money on the line. You, you're gonna you're gonna look at it. But um, the, the way, one of the ways that I can think of to try and help um, is to is to try paper trading. So a lot of uh, I think the ASX has a has a paper trading functionality on its website, which is essentially where you can uh, essentially play stock market without real money. So, you can make investments and track how they go over time without actually putting your money at stake. The only problem with that is that it still doesn't give you the exposure to the emotional side of making investments. Um, That's something that is just inevitable. You're only going to get that 
you know, understanding of your emotions once you're invested in companies. Um, one of the ways that I tell my friends to go about it is by making your first investment in something like a, a market tracking index fund. So, you know, even if you have these wildly swinging emotions and whatever, you could literally just hold that ETF for 40 years and you'd be fine. Um so that's one way I go around it, um, making your first investment ETFs, paper trading. Is there anything else you can think of to, to help you out when you're tr- thinking about making your first investment, Hamish? Yeah, I think, I mean, yeah, I mean, the, what you mentioned, I think I, I think staying mostly in index funds for, for as long as is, is necessary, I think is, is, um, is, is fine. I mean, for most people, I think broadly diversifying is going to be the way you will entirely invest. That'll probably be the case for 95% of people, although maybe people listening to this podcast represent um, a larger percentage of that those people who want to pick individual businesses, but just start small, start with what you're willing to lose, um, take your time. Yeah, and I mean, in terms of getting confidence, I think there's like, there's really two things that confidence comes from. One is just experience. So inevitably you're going to lack confidence when you start out and you're going to make mistakes. Um, that's why it's important, I think, to start really small. Um, and then also you can just try and learn as much as possible about the company and the industry that you're investing in. So um, after you've kind of gotten over, I think some of the more initial, um, concerns and, and worries that just happen when you just start investing in the markets that are inevitable beyond that confidence really comes from understanding the business deeply and knowing that even if some short-term news comes along with knowing whether or not that's going to have an impact on the business long-term. Um, not knowing whether, you know, if the news pops up that someone is being investigated for something um, or, or, you know, something has, the pandemic rolls around and you don't know if that's going to hurt the business over the long term, that's when you lose confidence in an investment. So, um, mm. that would be kind of my advice, but you've just got to start. I mean, there's, I don't think there's anybody in the history of investing who just from the get-go made good value investments you know what i mean like just super confident <laughs> I, I just that just is not possible I, almost i would guarantee everyone at least put some money in maybe they trade a little bit and then they realize that that's kind of pointless or you know everyone has a bit of a dabble at the start um so you've just kind of you just got to get involved i think um with a small amount of money so that you don't lose too much <laughs> yeah yeah no I, I agree just start with what you're willing to lose um yeah almost treat it like you're i don't know like you're making it well treat it as though the amount of money i mean that you put treat it as though you're just making a bet on something don't actually treat your investment like you're just making a bet on something <laughs> does that make Brandon's sense Brandon's advice know. just gamble just gamble just the market gamble. <laughs> no that's not my advice uh, i hope that made sense anyway <laughs> no, okay next question next question uh, hey guys um I've, I've got a question. You often talk about your interest in real estate, mm. but I was wondering about your thoughts on other asset classes, bonds, commodities, currencies, etc., especially considering the lack of genuine returns in the equity market at the moment. Thanks for your excellent work. Please keep it up. Yeah. Well, I mean, just on that last point, on the lack of return in the equity market, the, the truth of the matter is, and if, I mean, Ray Dalio talks a lot about this um, at the moment, is there's a lack of genuine return in all markets. Um, you know, even if you look at the bond, the bond market is way more overvalued historically nothing, than yeah. it is to equities. I mean, bonds are horrible at the moment. Yeah, you uh, can put down a thousand dollars now, and in two years you can get a thousand dollars. You get back. a penny out. Like it's horrible. <laughs> I mean, bonds in a lot of markets globally are negative on real returns. So after you take into account inflation, particularly this year, that's true. Their yeah. their real returns are negative. So. Um, Everything, you know, asset classes, as they are different, and sometimes they do get affected by certain things, generally speaking, they, they're they all kind of tied together. If bonds are expensive, equities become expensive, real estate becomes expensive. And that's kind of what we're seeing at the moment. But in terms of bonds, commodities, and currencies, um, there's one of those that is different from those three, and that's bonds. And that's because it's a cash producing asset. So, it actually produces something for you. Um, so, in that way, bonds are in a category of assets that I would invest in. Commodities and currencies are not. Um, they don't produce anything. Um, their prices are speculative. Um, and... Uh, you can't value them. Um, I think that you, the way that I invest is I value things based on what cash I get out of them. Um, and if a, a commodity doesn't produce cash for me, then I can't figure out what it's what it's worth for me. In terms of currencies, currencies is kind of an interesting one because you actually need, while I don't trade currencies, you actually need currencies, different currencies to buy stocks in 
different markets um, and yeah. those m- different markets will be affected by different currencies. So I guess in that way, I do kind of hold, um, I do hold different currencies um, to, to invest in those markets, but um, I don't trade, you're not trading, I'm not trading them. Not, I'm not yeah. betting, so to speak, on the movement of those currencies. I just hold them so that when those stocks are cheap in those markets, then I can, I can buy them. So that's, yeah. Yeah. I mean, overall, I'm I'm interested in learning more about these different asset classes. However, I like my thinking is very much along the same line as yours, where I I kind of just look at uh, the the cash producing ones. Like I've never bought Bitcoin, I've never bought gold, I've never bought um, uh, any sort of commodity, um, just for the same kind of uh, reasons that you outlined. But I, I would be interested to learn about. I I also think it comes down to uh, like just circle of competence, you know, mm. what, what do you feel comfortable? Like I've never made a, a, a investment in bonds because I don't feel like I know enough about bonds. I've never made a real estate investment because I feel like I haven't quite nutted out the real estate uh, market yet. So I have made investments mm. in, in equities obviously, because that's what I feel like I know the most about. So I yeah. feel like there's a, there's an element of, of circle of competence. And I hope that I'm able to one day have a pretty broad circle of competence where I can speak in depth about bonds and commodities and currencies and blah, blah, blah. But uh, at, at the moment, I just can't say that I have that um, that in-depth uh, knowledge, I guess. Yeah. yeah. And bonds are boring. Anyway, who wants to own a bond? Honest, honestly, sounds, they are. It just sounds so boring. It just sounds boring. Like bond. Yeah. Ooh, ooh. Like uh, it just, just doesn't sound nice. So, for that reason alone. Would you like to talk about the 20-year US Treasury bonds? <laughs> No, thanks. <laughs> no. I think I'll go talk to this other guy. <laughs> no. Oh, <laughs> uh, dear. Unless they're Tesla bonds, I guess they might be exciting. I mean, will you Jeez, get paid yeah. or will you not? You know? <laughs> <laughs> Evergrande bonds. <laughs> will it go to zero? Maybe. Probably. No. <laughs> um, should we do one more or wrap it up there? Uh, well, let's do one more. Let's, uh, you know what? Let's do it. I think this is a good- Chuck I really in. like this question. So, um, right. I, I want to hear your thoughts on this too. Anyway, um, loving the pod. Uh, quick question. What do you think about uh, part state-owned enterprises? Specific example, uh, Air New Zealand. The New Zealand government owns 52% of Air New Zealand. Uh, asking for a friend. Lol who is buying this speculative COVID airline dip. Oh, right. Okay. Um, I have never invested in any sort of state-owned enterprise. Um, yeah, I don't have all, I don't have any experience in that realm. I guess that, and I, I did, I looked up this article before um, who kind of, this person, this author brings both sides of the argument. You know, there are two two sides. Uh, for example, they they note in certain instances, uh, state-owned enterprises can benefit from having a government on their side. Uh, as an example, they note Gazprom, which is the largest vertically integrated natural gas producer in Russia, effectively gained a legal monopoly on gas exports in 2006, uh, which provided the firm with a massive advantage over their smaller rivals. So I guess that makes sense. There, there are definitely advantages to having a government on your side, you could say that maybe the government will come to the rescue if times get tough as well. Um, and then there are also the the other things. If you have a, a you know state controlled, if they have a controlling stake in the enterprise, then um, it says here those types of benefits will often come with some trade offs. Governments don't always prioritize the interests of mm. public shareholders. Yeah, you know that that would obviously be the the biggest risk. Instead, heads of government might use these companies to pursue personal, political, or economic agendas. Um, and these concerns are far from hypothetical. Yeah. Um, so I guess that you could you could look at it in both lights. I think the number one the number one thing would just be to understand uh, is to try and understand how. I mean, I don't even I don't think I'd ever look at investing in a state owned enterprise personally. But I think the number one thing would be to understand how, or firstly, how much is owned by the state, and and what are their what are their intentions, what are the likely upsides, and what are the likely downsides. Um, yeah. Well, yeah, I don't know. I'm, I'm certainly no expert with state-owned enterprises. Is there any, anything that you could add to that? Yeah, I don't, I don't think I have too much to add, except I think it's important to recognize what you mentioned um, towards the end of that, which is that there can be a conflict of interest in what the government wants out of the business and what's in the best interest of, of the shareholders. But Shareholder, um, yeah. yeah, I mean, partly owned... 
state, partly private companies are pri- private as you know, by you know, public shareholders. They're an interesting um there is, they're a strange mix. I'm not quite sure they make a lot of sense, except in the way that they often occur when a business needs funding. So when they need to be bailed out, often governments, rather than just giving the money, will take us get something back. Take they'll, a, they'll get equity a, stake. yeah, they'll get an equity stake, so they get actually something in return. Um, but yeah, it, it's kind of a weird mix. I, I think for me, it, it makes more sense for businesses to be either entirely private, um, you know, in the private sector, um, or publicly owned. I mean, there's, there's certainly a, a, um, a space for completely publicly owned businesses where there's not a profit motive. I think the post office is a good example that there's not a profit motive to, to ship uh, or to do uh, delivery to people who live in rural er- areas. Sorry, if it, that was completely private, um, they would never get mail because that, good example. so, um, you know, there's some circumstances where it doesn't make it doesn't make profit sense for people for, to serve customers where it's a necessary service. So that's where kind of the public, ste- the, the government can step yeah. in. Um, but in these yeah. like mixed ones, especially when, so the New Zealand government has a 52% ownership. So they have majority share. Um, they have managerial yeah. influence. Um, I don't know. I, I, certainly, I, I think that can have uh, strange implications as, as government changes hand over time. So, but yeah, I, I'll be yeah. honest. I, you know, my understanding of that is limited. Maybe is Air New Zealand the only New Zealand airline? Because I feel like maybe that could be a strategic political play to make sure that they don't, they're not a hundred percent reliant on foreign companies to provide air travel into or out of their country. Yeah, it, it could be, and I mean, New Zealand is a small country, so maybe that plays a, a role in in them not being kind of neglected from from travel um, outside of New Zealand. Yeah. I, I don't know. Um, air air travel, as I've said many times, is not an area I understand. So maybe <laughs> if I did, there would be a, a clear reason why it makes sense for the the government to have that share. But um, yeah, I just don't have that understanding. So. <laughs> But anyway, that's a that's a little bit on state-owned enterprises. Uh, hopefully, it was somewhat helpful. <laughs> As you can tell, it's not an area that we particularly uh, delve into very often. Yeah, uh, there's a there's yeah. a lot of things like that that are confusing areas of markets that I just kind of ignore because there's there's so much there's so many businesses you can learn about that it's not necessary to kind of scratch your head and and stay up at night wondering whether this is going to have an impact on your portfolio. You can just not invest in it. So, yeah. <laughs> that's the way yeah. I go about it. But You put it on the too hard pile, right? Yes, exactly. It's always an option. Yeah, it, it's yeah. a big pile, yeah. but that's okay. You don't- you, yeah, it's all right. Co- it's according all to right. Charlie Munger, you need one per seven years, one investment per seven years and you're fine. Yeah, so, exactly. Yeah. And we've come full circle. Exactly. All right, guys. <laughs> time to wrap things up. Um, thanks very much uh, to for, for listening as always. Uh, and thanks for submitting your questions. Just a reminder, if you have more questions. Sorry, we do. You guys really did come through when- we said we needed some more questions you guys really came through so now we have a backlog again um so i I do apologize if you're leaving questions on on the newer podcasts and we're still kind of a few podcasts behind um we're trying to catch up uh we might have to put a little bit more time into q a next week or the week after to to try and catch up with the questions um but still keep them coming we like we love hearing from you guys and and it makes up i really like the q a section of the podcast i I like the fact that we're kind of we can connect with you a little bit with the podcast it's not just us yapping away at various news topics we actually have a kind of connection with the audience but anyway there's me rambling again. <laughs> Let's get out of here, Hamish. Thanks very much for joining me as always. No Thanks to ShareSite for sponsoring. And we'll see you guys next week. See you guys.